on today's show, we are getting to know Keegan Worley. But first, a word from today's sponsors. Andre Psyche is the freelance creator extraordinaire, someone who makes music, poetry, art, clothing, and lives to make others feel good. Search him up on any social media. It's Andre Psyche. That's P-S-Y-C-H-E. The next time you are looking to add some creative stimulation to your social media circle. Patreon.com helps creators like me earn a monthly income that will be put towards podcast expenses. Support the Getting to Know You Pod's creative endeavors through Patreon for as little as $2 a month. There are all sorts of costs that I had no fucking idea about associated with posting podcasts, not to mention the need for equipment and production. So dear listeners, if you've enjoyed getting to know any of our guests or just want to help keep the pod going, go to our Patreon. The link's in the description and your support of the Getting to Know You pod is very much appreciated. Two bucks too much? Here are three free ways to help. Get your thumbs ready. One, push the subscribe button on whatever app you're listening to the Getting to Know You pod on. Did that? Thank you. Two, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on your social media like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Go ahead, open those apps, click away if you haven't already. Thanks again. Three, go to Apple, write a review. The internet tells me this might be the most important and impactful. So thank you. Your support, dear listener, whether it's with your thumbs through our Patreon or ideally both, is greatly appreciated. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you. Putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely and doggone it. my cup of tea. And Keegan Worley is the Delaware Democratic Party's nomination. And he is running for the House of Representatives to represent District 4, which is new in Delaware. The general election will occur on November 8th. There is no primary for Keegan to represent the Democratic Party in November because... I don't know why. So Keegan, thanks for coming on and letting people get to know you, man. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me, Sean. It's, you know, it's awesome to be here. Um, like you said, you know, I don't have a primary. So uh, that was kind of one of the whole reasons why I was running, not not because it's unopposed and the Democrat, but, um, you know, I filed July 1, which is kind of later. Um, but the closer and closer that we got to that filing date, I was like, there's nobody that's running as a Dem. And looking at the numbers in our the district of the fourth district, um, it leans about 35 to 40% Democratic. And I was like, you know what? These people, we as Democrats, we need a voice. Who better than me? And so I'm going to do it. And I did. Can I... Cause I'm a little bit of a numbers guy. Um, I went through and I'm looking at the 
districts that surround you. Mm-hmm. And I was shocked that so many House of Representatives seats are won being completely unopposed. So like District 14, which is the only Democratic district, I believe, in Sussex County, Pete Schwartzkopf, 100% of the votes, 12,000, almost 13. Then you got the 37th, the 41st, the 38th, the 20th. Republican, 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 100%, no Democrats. And then, I, you know, I'm starting to expand and I'm like, there's got to be some sort of like alternative. And from what I understood, the 36th, which is Milford, and I don't know if like that, it split Sussex and um, Kent, was Dem and Republican. The 35th had a Dem and Republican. The 30th, Dem and Republican. But then two other districts were straight Republican. So I, it's weird to me as a voter, and I'm surprised I never noticed this, that it's kind of sad that there are no options. So I guess all that to say, dude, thank you for just trying to be an option when everyone's frustrated with the fact that we have a two-party system, you're at least trying to make it a two-party system, which yeah, I think yeah, is yeah. admirable, admirable. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate that. And uh, Sussex County, unfortunately, um, has had a long, long history of just having that Republican rap. And, you know, it just has the, the backwoods, the good old boys that, you know, they're, they have this network of just, you know, the Republicans that are here. And everybody loves Pete. You know, he's, <laughs> he's <laughs> got the district to be that you guy, go starboard And, uh, you know, Pete's there on a Saturday, a Sunday or a Friday, you know, he's eating breakfast. He's, he's there with other people and everybody loves Pete. So, you know, he has the 14th, hopefully kind of on lock at speed as a Democrat, you know, um, hopefully he has the 14th on lock and. You know, I'm definitely looking forward to bringing the fourth, this new district, because you'd kind of said, you know, it's a brand new district. When we became a district, we took parts of the 27th, the 14th, and the 20th, or the 37th, sorry. 37th, um, And, you know, we just kind of make up this hodgepodge of a, a district, basically. And it's really, really cool because especially in my district, I have so many incoming people from New Jersey, Maryland, Connecticut, Pennsylvania. Um, it's, it's really kind of cool to see all these new people making up a brand new district. Yeah. So I'm going to be super biased and say, I hate them all because they've completely destroyed my easy commute. <laughs> like the traffic is insane. Thanks Del Dot for like trying to get back on that. I do appreciate all the road work that's going in to like try to help that. And that was something I noticed about you talking about people moving in. Um, on your website, it said you moved to Delaware in 2018. And I don't know how I feel about, and it's part of why I was really interested to talk to you about like new people coming to Delaware. So I moved to Delaware when I was 10. I've been here 30 years. I teach in the 14th district. I live in the 37th district. So I commute mostly Eastern Sussex mm-hmm. County. Um, but I feel like I'm a Delawarean. Now I wasn't born at BB. So I don't think that it definitely doesn't make me a Delawarean. My daughter was born at BB. Mm-hmm. 
But I feel like we as Delawareans could use some like outside ideas if we're having all these people move to Delaware. So that's why I'm I, to go back a little bit. I'm super curious about what made you want to run and try to be a second party in something that's completely Republican. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll find out real quick. Sorry, man. I'm like real long with asking questions. I got to get better at that. I apologize. <laughs> no, nah, man, you're good. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just really cool. Uh, to talk to a fellow teacher, we can be long winded with questions, you know, but That's so uh, true. <laughs> <laughs> um, as to why, you know, I've always kind of been politically inclined. When I was at Millersville University, it's up in PA. Um, I was a member of the student government and I held many leadership roles there. And before that, in high school, middle school, you know, the whole bang, shebang, um, I was always kind of politically inclined. Like I was interested in the civics classes and I would get in debates with my parents and um, kind of just have those thoughts, those ideas of what makes the world go round. And when I got to Delaware, the first instance that I had with government was coaching at Milford. Uh, we won the state championship in wrestling and they brought us to the legislative hall and we got to meet Brian Shoup and he was kind of telling us about what his day looked like. And um, I was like, really like, this is kind of cool. The fact that we bring our state championship teams to legislative hall, they get sworn in on the record. They, you know, have their names on the official record in the Senate, in the house. And I thought that was really cool in Pennsylvania. We can't do that. <laughs> a little <You> bigger. <laughs> it's a little bit bigger, you know? Um, so I thought that was really, really cool. And my wife works at legislative hall and she had come to me and said, you know, Oh, well we can't, you know, Sussex County is really difficult. We can't find a candidate. We can't find a candidate. And I was like, mm, I could do it. I could do it. I have some ideas. And so really, she's kind of been, you know, they say your wife is your rock. She's definitely been my rock, man. Like she's, she's been a great campaign manager and she's kind of dealt with me at home. So, uh, but running has been wonderful so far. You know, I, I really get, I'm enjoying getting out and canvassing and putting together the website and things like that. It's just been a blast so far. I, I don't know why I'm such a numbers guy, but I keep going to the numbers and I look at Pete Schwartzkopf getting 12,000, Ruth Briggs getting almost 10,000. Well, Pete almost had 13,000 in 2020. Um, and I'm like, I, guess you're going to need around like 11,000 people. Now, when the Republican candidate comes in, maybe you only need six because there's maybe a total of 12, 13,000 votes. How are you getting to know people aside from the podcast, shameless plug, um, (laughs) to like get that large of an audience? You know, great question. Um, My my RD committee, my, my district committee, Uh, They're doing a great job of reaching out to people that are interested in helping out. Uh, But really, I've just been door knocking. 
and okay. getting out to different events, di- different Democratic events. Like I met with the Shore Dems today, um, and then I was out door knocking tonight, man. So uh, I've I've been out three times this week, just knocking on doors, meeting people, and spreading the message of me, you know. And uh, how can I? Stay there for a moment, like the door knocking, Jehovah's Witness style. How does that go? Because that seems so anti the whole like social media text, COVID, stay away. Like there's been this huge separation of people. And to just go and knock on a door, I'm curious how people like take that. Do they even believe you? <laughs> you know, that's a that's a uh, good question. Do they believe me? Sometimes... Sometimes I don't believe myself. It's that like, you know, am I really the person in charge right now? Like, I'll never forget the first time I ever had a class in front of me. um, The bell rang and I went, oh, man, where's the tea? Oh, shit, it's me. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, But yeah, I mean, you knock on somebody's door and you kind of wait there a little bit and see if they're kind of come. And it's this moment of, how can I hook this person into what I'm going to say? And it is, it's an in, it's an in-person face-to-face interaction that we just haven't seen. Nobody comes to your door. And if they come to your door, you're like, why are you here? Are you here to cause me harm? Are you here to sell me something? There's no soliciting here, you know? Um, And so it's a, it's a heavy balance of, what do you say that kind of hooks these people in? So as I'm walking up to a door, I'm like kind of looking around and I'm going, oh, uh, they have a Disney Vacation Club license plate. My parents are Disney Vacation Club members. Like maybe I use that to kind of kind of bridge like, hey, you know, I'm like you. Yeah, or uh, somebody the other day had a Gettysburg College uh, magnet on their car. And I was like, that's only 30 minutes from my hometown. So definitely it's kind of like teaching where, how do you make what you're preaching relatable? How's it been? How's the reception been on the door at the doors? (laughs) It's been really good. I'll say that like a lot of people, um, I give them, you know, my 32nd elevator pitch and Sometimes they'll have questions for me. Sometimes they just want to take the literature. And if they have questions for me, you know, sometimes we have like a five, 10 minute conversation, but um, it's been relatively good. I've had a lot of people kind of say it's so good to see a young face. You know, people look at the events going on and no offense to my uh, opponents, but they don't want to see old white guys in politics anymore. It's something I, it's funny, man. I, um, where did we go? Took a little family trip to Charleston and I forget the name of the plantation. And it's, I don't know why, like, I think of white guys, I go to plantation, but what struck me was the African-Americans that, rebelled for slavery to end slavery and you look at their age and they're fucking like 25 27 mm-hmm. 30 and and you're like that's prime like you look at an athlete and you're like dude you dominate lebron's over the hill he's 39 and we're like he's done with basketball you know and like you look at these 
people in their 30s and you're like, that's when you've got a little bit of life experience and you still have the energy, passion, drive and like that, what's a good word to say? Not like what's better than optimism where you can like actually make a difference. You know what I'm saying? And it's so weird to me that so many politicians are like 60s and you're like, I don't know, man, do you relate to the majority of the population? That's something I've really struggled with. So that's interesting that you've kind of got a vibe of on that too. Yeah. I mean, um, I definitely was a little wary about are people going to actually take me seriously? You know, the 75% of my district, you'd like numbers, 75% <laughs> of my district is 65 and up. Wow. And, uh, you know, but for my age group, I'm the numbers, how I have it broken down 25 to 35, I'm 27. So 25 to 35 is 4% of my district. So for me to hit my target audience, I have no shot to win. You know, like <laughs> if I just focused on them, yeah. when I, and I kind of looked at the numbers, I was going, are people really going to say like, Oh, you know, Sonny, just, just go back, to, go, just go back home and, you know, um, mind your business. But no, the reception has been, we need a fresh face. We need the young people, you know, um, a lot of, a lot of senior citizens that I've talked to have kind of said that they're terrified. They see what's going on and they're terrified for their, their children, their grandchildren and their great grandchildren. And they look at me and they say, you have a good head on your shoulders. You know, you, you, they like what I say and, um, they, they can get behind me. Dude, that's a great point that I feel, and I don't want to speak for older people cause I'm, I'm 40, I guess I'm close to them, <laughs> but nah, man, I wouldn't have said you're a day over 35. Appreciate it. I did just shave the other day. It helps. Um, but what I'm thinking about is like, what is my focus as a 40 year old is my 12 year old daughter. That's all I fucking care about. I'm making financial decisions based around her. I'm making my daily decisions. I'm at the bay today. Why? Cause she's got some friends there and I'm hauling kayaks and we're, you know, trudging through sand and I'm cutting watermelon and I'm doing all making peanut butter jelly. Why? Cause that's what you do for kids. Cause you want to create a good environment, but she's my focus. And if mm -hmm. I'm looking for a candidate, I don't want a candidate to take care of me because I feel like I've already lived my life. Mm -hmm. I want to take, I want to get a candidate who can take care of two, three generations behind me because I want my family to be happy. I want my family to be safe. I want my family to have opportunity. So I think that's a really interesting point that I had not actually thought about till you said it where maybe the perception of those who are older isn't like selfish, where's my social security, although that matters, but it might be like, what are my kids gonna do? What are my grandkids gonna, what jobs are my grandkids gonna have? How are they gonna afford college? What's gonna happen to the home I leave them? And that's a, that's a really interesting take to um, get into selecting a candidate to represent them. I like that view, actually. It certainly works for me because, you know, I'm <laughs> out of the four people running, um, you know, the two on the Republican side, there's an independent and then me, um, I'm certainly the youngest. Yeah. Yeah. I like the fact that you're a wrestler, um, that you were a wrestling coach and you wrestled 
to me immediately is like that military discipline. Cause the, the fact that you guys got to keep weight, maintain it, like it, if you haven't gone through it or been around people who go through it, I don't think they understand the discipline. And then when you're a teacher and a coach, you're just used to making decisions, but not for your best interest, but for the group's best interest. And yeah, I, it's, I, I just, I love that about your candidacy that you had that kind of real world, world experience, despite your youth. You know, being a wrestler, it's, it's a lifestyle. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, Dan, I'm, I'm not Dan one. Diego I've just been that. around a bunch and they are like, I wish I could be one. <laughs> yeah, man. It's, you know, Dan Gable, this is a very cliche thing that wrestlers say, but it really, really is like something that's important. He once was quoted as saying, you know, once you've wrestled, everything else in life is easy. And, and there's some truth to that, man. Like, yeah. you know, a lot of athletes, when they go and they play their sport, they are able to, oh, you know, especially in college, the thing that I remember most was having a conversation with a baseball player um, who he's had a lot of success, but he was asking me one time, he was like, oh, you know, like uh, we're all getting together. We're having a keg party on Thursday. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like we have a match next week. And He's like, no, 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 like, don't you just have a 24-hour lockout? I'm like, nah, bro, you don't understand. Like, <laughs> if, if I drink two beers, that's two, maybe three pounds that I got to lose the next day, and then I got to lose two more the next day, and then three the next day. And, you know, it's very regimented of yeah. what you're going to do um, to not only be in fighting condition when you make weight, but making weight, making sure that, you know, you walk with – purpose that people know oh i'm not gonna mess with him because he can throw me on my head and you know what you eat what you put in your body a lot of people say the top athletes you know they're eating the best stuff well if i when i was actually competing i don't anymore you know i as i say i did my time right. <laughs> it's like a military <laughs> no doubt um you know, I, I don't, I don't necessarily eat like crap now, but I certainly, um, enjoy a few ice creams here and there. But, uh, when, when you're wrestling and you're competing, you know, living that life all the time of just being committed to a diet, working out two, three, sometimes four times a day, um, you know, and then you're a student athlete. So, not only working out four times a day, eating the right stuff and going to class, getting your homework done, going to study hall. It's a, it's a, it's a rough time, but it makes you so regimented and so prepared for the things in life that you just see people complain about things and you're like, nah, I'm not going to, I'm just going to suck it up and do it. Yeah. Overcome, right? That David mm -hmm. Goggins mentality, stay hard. <laughs> Oh, I love Goggins, man. He is such a great motivational speaker. He's, um, I don't want to, I don't want to crap on him, but I kind of want to crap on him. So I read, and this will be a real quick tangent. I'm just upset. I'm upset at whoever does his PR because I emailed them. I did a 240 mile bike challenge in four days. So I rode my bike mm -hmm. 240 miles, went from Milton, Harbison, all the way to Ocean City, and then through. I did like a beer tour. Um, dude, congrats, man! Oh that's God. that's tough. Yeah, that's dude, awesome. I'm 
I'm still feeling it in certain places. Um, but wait, when did you do this? Uh, past week, just for holy the cow! I didn't know that. Wow, good yeah. for you, man. Yeah, dude. I mean, it, it, dude. The bike trail that that is a part of here, and then just going down nine. I mean, we really live in a lovely area. It's flat. The worst part is when you catch the wind coming back on you. You know, so like mm-hmm. you got the wind at your back, you're going 18 miles an hour, and you got the wind in your face, and you're going like 11, and it's just a grind. So I'm listening to Goggins' book. And I'm, I'm like, that's what's getting me through. You know what I'm saying? Like you're an hour and a half in and you're like, what's an hour and a half? It ain't better than me, you know? Right. Like, and right. there'd be more F-bombs in it. But like, that's the whole point, Goggin the mentality. So I email him and I'm like, dude, I coach basketball at middle school. I'm a reading specialist. I've got a bunch of kids who have a lot of quit in them. And you're our target audience, man. You've overcome this. Like his backstory is insane. Buffalo, dad was like, a nightclub owner, a little bit of a pimp, like he mother, single mother ran away. I mean, it's insane what he went through, the racism in Indiana. And I'm like, do you have any books that I can get for free? And they were Mm -hmm. like, unfortunately, we don't have any books you can get for free. However, we have clean, clean editions on Amazon. And I was like, oh man, everything I loved about you. You won't give me 10 books as a teacher. And it's such like a small, like, oh, but it really bothered me that I was like, come on, man, I've seen your house. Like you're doing well, you're a seal. Like, come on, man. I bet you, if you put a plug in with Cape, I bet you, you could get that done. Dude, I use my Cape email. (laughs) I tried, I used the Cape email. I went with like reading specialist, Dr. O'Grady. Like I pulled it all out and she was just like, nah. Um, so like no shade. Cause I understand you're a business like, Hey, make your money. I'm sure they get right. hit up for all sorts of free stuff all the time, but it just, I don't know. I guess it's a stupid story to like complain about Goggins as like a little side tangent. Um, but the message and the discipline he gets to with military to me is totally relatable to successful people and athletes, if you're going to achieve any sort of level, you have to sacrifice, you have to suck it up. You have to embrace the pain and not only embrace it, but want it. Cause if you don't want it, you're going to quit. But if you want the suffering, if you want the struggle, who wants to be like that? Nobody. So you're going to excel. And like that mentality, I kind of want that mentality in a representative. I want a dude with a little bit of like, ah, fire in him, Right. And that go, maybe goes to the youth aspect. You know, it was kind of funny. I was talking to somebody and um, they were like, uh, you know, I'll be satisfied if you win by one vote. And I was like, you know, I'm I'm never satisfied. I'm never satisfied. Seriously, if if I win by one vote, I'm going to look back and I, I'm going to say, damn, I should have had more people vote. That way I could have I could have won by 10. I could have won by 100. I could have won by 200, you know? Yeah. So I'm everything I do in life, I'm constantly looking at how could I have done better? And sometimes that's to a fault where with wrestling, um, as a coach, especially like I would, um, I had at Milford, I had uh, a three time state champ of Jack Toady and he was kind of my protege. He just graduated this year. Um, you know, he and I had a really, really good relationship where I was his drill partner and, you know, he, well, he would kind of turn to me for a lot of stuff. Um, but 
sometimes it was to a fault where he would come off the mat and I would tell him, dude, you only got eight takedowns on that kid. Like you're so much better. You should have gotten 12 before you pinned him. Like you should have pinned him sooner or, you know, something like that. And I do kind of feel bad about those things that I'm just never satisfied, but uh, sometimes I do, I come off blunt, but yeah, dude, that's a coach's personality thing that I I wish I could control. Yeah. I I feel it, it definitely is a balance, but from the people I've been around who deal with legit coaches, like there was a group of dads who told a story. They were like tying up a lacrosse net and the coach came over to thank them. And before the coach could thank them, they were like, go ahead and tell us what we're doing wrong, how we're tying up the net. How can we do it better? But like, I feel like kids who want that next level want that kind of critique. They want that constant challenge because human nature, what is human nature? It seems like once you get those basics, food, water, shelter, safety, you're sedentary and you can mm-hmm. get very complacent very easily, man. So that fire, even though it sucks to like put it on a kid, it kind of doesn't suck because it's like, why not be the best you? Right. Yeah. Sorry. I don't know. I, again, I have a terrible habit of cutting people off. Um, but, but it just, I, I don't think that's a bad, I guess I was listening and I'm like, I don't think that's a bad quality. The fact that you want to hold people who are capable of achieving to a higher standard. I definitely think that, you know, one of the things that I, I value in being a teacher and being a coach is just, you know, pushing people to achieve their greatest potential. Um, you know, if, if nothing else as a teacher, as a coach, if you can do that, you know, you, you wind up teaching the next generation that they can do things that they didn't think were possible. And, you know, if we can get more of that in the next generation, that'd be fantastic. And so, you know, as a legislator, one of the things that I want to do is just kind of have that mentality of, you know, we're capable of much more, you know, we're a small state in Delaware, but we can do more. Yeah. I feel that's beneficial. The fact that you're a smaller state, I feel if they, if you have goals to accomplish, there are less stakeholders to get involved, which means decisions should be able to be made quicker, easier, and more transparently because there's just less levels. Mm -hmm. I can, I, are you able to be a teacher if you get elected? (laughs) I don't know if like, really? Yeah, man. I don't Um, know, dude, I might fucking run. Do it. Seriously. We, we need more people to do it. Like, I don't know if I'm a Democrat, but I'm sitting here and I'm like, I didn't think I could be a teacher and keep my job and run. Yeah. Um, so I will, I will tell you being a, being a Cape, it might be a little difficult to get up there like after your school day ends, but, uh, you could probably still join some of the committees, you know, um, moving to CR was something that will allow me to be in multiple committees that, Uh, and I can kind of be there uh, right after the school day. And so essentially you're working two full-time jobs from the months of January to June. So let me back you up for a moment because you've been talking about Milford so often through our messaging. I know that you now work for the Cesar Romney school district. So that was part of why you wanted to leave Milford because you're like, you actually 
care about winning this election and you're like preparing if you win to be able to do it logistically. Yeah. So um, hopefully none of my wrestlers listen to your podcast, at least for this episode, um, <laughs> just because I haven't told them until Wednesday of next week. Oh man, that's tough. Um, you know, but yeah, so I, it breaks my heart to leave Milford, to be honest. Like okay. they gave me my start and I've been, you know, teaching there for the past four years, but, um, the job at CR, you know, the, the facilities are great. The, the staff that I've met are fantastic. And yes, it is 10 minutes away from Legislative Hall. So ultimately, taking that job at, at CR to be an English teacher there, you know, doing the same thing. Um, it's me betting on myself, you know, not being satisfied with having a half hour commute from Milford to Legislative Hall and saying, I'm going to win. I'm going to take this job. And then it's 10 minutes that I can get there faster to legislative hall. That goes to that discipline and that planning. It's almost like meal prep when you're trying to make weight, you know, like I'm just talking to wrestlers and you know, they're like, yeah, I got, I know how many calories I got to eat. It's just so rigid. And the fact that you're even thinking like that, man, is awesome. Um, I like to say there's a, you know, a common phrase right now, you know, everybody else is playing checkers, I'm playing chess. But uh, I do, I like to try to think strategically as to what my next move is. Um, so I, just for a second, how would teaching and being a representative work out? Because you had said like joining committees, are those typically held like later on in the evening, the afternoon, or like, do you get to email your votes in? Do you know about the logistics of how that would work? I know about some of them. Um, so some of the committees are held during the day. Obviously I wouldn't be able to attend those, but some of them are held around three o'clock, five o'clock. Um, and then there is one held later at like six. So I would be able to t attend um, the one that interests me the most is the education committee obviously. Um, <laughs> hopefully. hopefully, right? <laughs> right. It is first on your yeah. website too, by the way. <laughs> like, huh? It's first on your website, which I, as a teacher, I was like, oh, cool, man. Like, yeah, no, that's, that's very purposeful. in the fact that, you know, as an educator, education, teaching the students are my top priority. You know, um, one thing that I've kind of said when I'm going door to door is that I'm not a politician. You know, I am a teacher and a coach who wants to make a difference. You know, I'm not one of these, these dirty politicians or whatever you want to call them, but instead I'm just a guy trying to make a difference. And I'm super biased and I'm sure you've done stuff like this, but I'm a middle school basketball coach and every mm -hmm. Tuesday and Thursday for six weeks in the summer, I wake up at 8 a.m. and I do an open gym for any middle school kid who wants to come. Do yep. you know how much I get paid for that? I'm sure you do. Zero. It's nothing Nada. but my time. And yep. I do open gyms on Friday during the year before and after the season. You know why? Because I get paid a bunch and it adds to my pension. Nope. I care about the kids and I'm like, yo, you want a ball? I'm gonna show you what it takes to work. Let's get better if you want it. I'm here to support you in your dream. Now, as a 
coach, I feel like that's very common. And I'm not even a real coach. Like you're saying, I'm not a real politician. I'm not even a real coach. I didn't hoop in high school or college. I just really like basketball. But I love the fact that you're bringing that servant mentality mm -hmm. to a position because I do think that's part of the issue people have with politicians is like, it's almost a selfish thing for them to get to that position. That wasn't even a question. I guess I was just rambling on with that, but it's like, I was trying to make the point about like the coaching is, I don't know if you have not coached, I don't know if people understand the sacrifice in time that doesn't get rewarded with pay. Oh no, hundred percent. You know, if you, if you coach, you're doing it because you're there for the kids. You know, nobody goes into coaching saying, I'm going to make a hundred thousand bucks on this coaching, you know? And if you do, you're stupid. Um, <laughs> or you just don't understand how money works, you know, like, but coaching, coaching has been one of the most rewarding experiences ever. And, you know, seeing kids grow up and succeed is something that I will cherish forever. And, you know, to, just to bring that same mentality of I'm here for the kids, I'm here for my constituents, just as, you know, I, I care about my students, I care about my athletes, I care about my constituents. Why do you care? How come you're so helpful? <laughs> How come you're not more selfish? <laughs> That's the million dollar question that, you know, I wish I could, I wish I could answer. Um, you know, when I, when I was a kid, I would get upset when other people got in trouble. Legit. I don't know why, but I would like, and they were clearly in the wrong, but I don't know. I was just upset for them. And I don't know. I just feel like we should look out for one another. You know, it's, it goes back to that fundamental treat each other the way you want to be treated. And unfortunately that's not how the world works. You know, I wish, I truly, truly wish that everybody had that mentality of, you know, if I treat you well, if I care to you, you'll care to me. But like you said, why am I not more selfish? I wish I had an answer. Yeah, I almost wonder if it's just a personality thing. Like you, some people, whatever, narcissistic, some people are egotistical, some people are selfless, right? There's been a bunch of dystopian novels written about that. Um, one of my favorite middle schools, Divergent, where you have all these classes and you have to pick your job early on and then you get to choose like hey this is what you are but mm -hmm. you could actually go to be wild even though you are humble and i just I never wondered... finished allegiant i went to divergent insurgent but i never finished allegiant in that series yeah i didn't either i just started watching the movies they're terrible right <laughs> stay right. with the, the movies are bad but <laughs> they are hunger game movies are decent divergent movies are horrible after the first one yeah but, it, it does bring out that like humanistic point of some pe people have traits that they're just drawn to. Like you have flavors of ice cream you like, you don't know why you prefer whatever vanilla to chocolate, strawberry to Rocky Road, but you just do. And mm -hmm. it's, it's cool to try to get people who have dedicated their careers to serving. I like the idea of people who have dedicated their lives to serving to then bring that to represent other people. Cause I feel like you can scale that if you mm -hmm. care about kids and you give time to kids, if you care about a class and give time to a class, 
why can't that be scaled to constituents if you're around them? I feel like it's just natural. Right. I, dude, I never asked, how did you wind up in Delaware? <laughs> Funny story. Um, I had a phone call one night. Don Parsley, he's the head coach at Milford. Um, he called me. He stalked me. Stalked. You know, he, he looked me up on my Millersville wrestling roster. And on our roster, it had a picture, it had our major, and it had like stats, you know, about us, and it had our bio, yada, yada, yada. Anyway, he calls me one night and he's like, My name is Don Parsley. I'm the head coach at Milford Wrestling. And I see you're an English ed major and I need an assistant coach. This is a week before or a week after I had basically been promised a job in PA. Oh. And he's like, you know, here's the application. If you're interested, please let me know. And I'm going, do I apply? Well, I applied just to kind of to say, I'll take, I'll take the interview for practice and, you know, see where it goes. Applied, interviewed the following Friday. They called me that Monday and they said, you know, the job is yours. And I went, whoa, this is <laughs> a, a quick turnaround here. Um, and the other jobs still hadn't formally offered me the position in PA. It was like 15 minutes from Millersville. You know, all my friends are, well, all my friends at the time were still in PA. My family was in PA. Um, but I was like, you know what? They offered a formal position. I'm going to take it. And so I told Milford that day, I said, you know, I'll take the job. And the funny thing is, is the other job never called. Oh, wow. Right. So that summer I relocated. I moved all my stuff to Delaware. I never looked back. Dude, that's, yeah, that speaks to my lack of, and I, I always need an assistant. <laughs> and the fact that this varsity coach is looking at wrestling programs to try to bring in assistants, not only assistants, but also educated teachers. And by the way, you were an academic All-American, right? In college? Yeah. yeah. I, I know it's hard to like brag on yourself, but I want to try to like throw in those accolades to just put your resume out there. So it's not like you're just grabbing a dude who's a jockstrap. Like you're, <laughs> you're not only qualified on the map, but you're qualified in the classroom as well. And you've been able to balance a really hard wrestling career with keeping your grades up in college while, you know, staying away from those two beers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, at Millersville, it was, there was a saying that said, you know, you either go there to, to party or to teach. And I chose to teach. <laughs> I, I chose to wrestle that. and teach. And, um, it, it, I mean, I, I had fun. I had fun with my teammates, you know, but, um, I never looked back once I moved to Delaware, you know, I, I've enjoyed every second here. Yeah. I'm curious. I've never been to Millersville. I actually don't even know where it is in Pennsylvania. Um, but what was it like coming to Delaware? Was there any sort of shock? Was it easy? Were you welcomed? It was definitely welcoming. Um, Lancaster, Pennsylvania is the the county that Millersville's in. Uh, okay. So 
if you're familiar with Lancaster, um, have you ever heard of the show Amish Outlaws? Yeah, they come to the, I've never gone. They've come to the rudder a couple times and I'm like, I need to get there. It just sounds. So that's the band, but there was a, or no, 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 sorry. The sh- that's the band. Sorry. Yeah. The, the show was called Amish Mafia. Oh, I remember. No, never watched it. That might be my end of summer. So I like watching like Netflix or shows when I work out. I'm uh-huh. on, I'm on Peaky Blinders right now. That now that you bring it up, that might be the universe saying get on YouTube or fucking whatever internet and figure that out. Stream it. I, I want to say it was on like TBS or whatever, but Lancaster County has this huge Amish population. And um, that's where that show was filmed. Uh, the Amish mafia, they like followed the Amish. So Lancaster, Millersville, it's a really like small town, you know, farm bred, you know, it, it's nice. It's a, it's a nice country style of living. When I moved to Milford, um, it was very much that small town. It was, you know, very welcoming. <laughs> and when we were, I'll never forget, when we were driving around a new teacher orientation, uh, there were all these trees and back roads. And I said, you know what? If I see a horse and buggy, I'm convinced that I didn't actually move and I'm just back in Lancaster County. And the bus driver said, oh, well, you know, there's there's actually an Amish population in Dover. And I went, yeah, I can live here. You know, <laughs> this feels like home. And uh, my wife joined me. I want to say, oh, God, I forget. <laughs> she joined me uh, a year or two living in the Milford. She'll kill me if she hears that I say. I can't remember. But uh, Website says a year later, 2019, if that helps. That helps. <laughs> So she joined me and she said, you know, I really like the beach. Let's move to the beach. And so we did. And it's still, unfortunately, with all the incoming people, uh, it's getting bigger. But, you know, it still does have that small town, that charm feel. So we enjoy it. When you get off of the roads, like if you just can deal with the traffic and not lose your mind because you're so used to just – five miles taken five minutes versus five miles taken 25 minutes. Like if you can battle through that and when you get to where you're going, I mean, whatever town you're in in Delaware still like you just run into people, which is the cool thing. I was walking around with my daughter and we went jet skiing in Dewey and she was like, you knew like four people on our way here. She was like, what's up with that? I'm like, well, I teach, I do this podcast thing. I coach like it's what happens. And it like kind of blew her mind. She's like, wow, like, you just start knowing people and we do have that vibe, man. And it's cool that you come from a place that values. It seems like you kind of went to a place that valued that same sort of town feel where you know people, where people matter. I guess like as cliche as it sounds, like people actually matter. It's not just the person who's an inconvenience. You matter. You're part of our community. I kind of feel like I live in a small town my whole life. Like I grew up in a small town in New York called Spring Grove and at high school <laughs> we had a spirit day it was every year it was called take your tractor to work or tra- take your tractor to school day <laughs> and like people laugh but it was legit man like you know people rode tractors and they filled that parking lot with tractors and it was cool like it yeah. was really really cool and 
um, you know, teachers would come out, they'd take pictures and, you know, it was always a celebrated thing. So just to tell you how small of a town it was. Dude, that's awesome. It's, it, I don't know, like, I don't know if that, so actually let me ask this and I'm not saying this in like a, um, uh, confrontational way. How are you a Democrat? If you're a small town country boy, like to me, that just screams Republican, right? Like, why are you, if you're bringing that kind of vibe, how are you? And I forget what they are. They're donkeys, right? Yeah. Republicans are elephants. Democrats are donkeys. Why are you a donkey? (laughs) Why am I a donkey? Uh, (laughs) You know, I like to think that the two party system, I think is rigged or not rigged, but I think it's stupid. Um, It is. It sucks that we have to pick a side. Sorry, I won't interrupt from here on out while you speak about why you're a Democrat, but I complete it just it frustrates the fuck out of me, too. Sorry. Um, So, you know, when people ask me, well, are you a Democrat or are you Republican? I say I'm Keegan. Yeah. You know, Um, but there are more issues on the Democrat side that I agree with. And, you know, Unfortunately, you know, that's the, my background is that it's the Republican side of small town redneck. And, you know, those are the stereotypes that, you know, fall on the the Republican side, but, you know, and, and I'm happy to talk with anybody about why I'm a Democrat because I just, am. there are issues I agree with on the Democrat side. Um, so maybe that's like a natural transition to be a little political. Yeah. Um, so then what puts you on that side where you see you leaning that way? And I don't know if this helps you and maybe this is me over explaining like healthcare immediately. I don't want it to be for profit. Like mm-hmm. I want qualified doctors. I actually had a doctor on last night who was in business insider. Um, and he has $360,000 worth of debt. And he's like, I just want to work in an ER and help people. And I'm like, you're really smart. You're really skilled. I don't want you having a second mortgage. I want that to go away. And I want you to keep taking care of people because you love people. And I want quality people, but I don't want to have to pay $500,000 to get medical care. And he spoke about it where doctors feel the pressure to like bill, to make profit. And I'm like, that, that sucks. And when I think about that, that, makes me lean. I feel like that puts me more towards Democrat than Republican when I think about healthcare. You know, Delaware, unfortunately, we, we have one of the, especially with Sussex County, we have one of the lowest Medicare rates, um, for seniors around. And that's, that's unfortunate that seniors really have to feel the brunt cost of prescription medicine and getting the care that they need. In addition, you can, know, and can I and I said I wouldn't interrupt, and I'm I lied. Okay. I'm sorry, man. So I recently went through the process with my mom, and I don't know if you're familiar, but to get on Medicare, I had no idea. You literally lose all your assets. Mm-hmm. Like you can't pass anything on to your kids. It's gone. It's to the state. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that just seems so jacked up that you've got like a 73 year old woman hoping to have things to pass on who doesn't have a ton of means. And now all of a sudden it's like, Oh, you've broken your hip. You're dealing with dementia. We're going to take everything you have to give you 24 hour care. And I'm like, that shouldn't be the system that America with 
first world country <laughs> that has four elderly people. It, it really, unfortunately, in the, the, the world that we live in, you know, that's that's the reality. And one of the things that I want to pursue is, along with other legislators as well, that, you know, they've they've kind of made it their mission as well to pursue lower cost in prescription med, uh, medicine and, you know, just healthcare in general. Um, so that's one thing that I do want to look at in Dover as well, if I win election. Um, you talk about healthcare you know, just even seeing a doctor is a problem in Sussex County. You know, we see all these BB facilities, we see Bay Health facilities, but we can't fill them. We can't fill them with, you know, professional practicing um, physicians. And one of the things that I want to introduce as well is providing incentives for people to live in and practice in Sussex County. Because the weight, you know, things that I hear from people on the canvassing trail is that it takes them five, six months to see a doctor or multiple weeks to get an appointment. And that's just a shame in itself. Yeah. So do you have an incentive plan in mind? Because immediately, and maybe just because I spoke with this doctor, and I got some of it with student loan forgiveness, where mm -hmm. I worked at a, I think it was a title, I forget whatever title, title one, title nine school. And I did special education. I was able to get student loan forgiveness. You would think like there would be some sort of legislation to get some student loan forgiveness, but I'm not sure if that's your plan. I guess I'm, that's what I was thinking if I ran would be my plan to get doctors. So my theory, my theory is with the transfer tax that we have in Delaware, it's one of the highest transfer taxes around. You know, if you buy a home, you buy a car and you transfer that title into Delaware, you know, you're paying upwards of four, four and a half percent. And that's one of the highest around. Um, so I'm thinking that maybe just in that transfer tax, you know, we, we decrease that for doctors or we give them uh, kind of like there's a, a mortgage program for teachers and things like that, you know providing affordable housing and giving them an option where they can live here and they can practice here. The dude I had on was 27 and he has a mm -hmm. kid and he has a wife and he's got 360 grand worth of debt. I don't, the dude drove an 03 Camry. Like yeah. the dude wasn't trying to be in a Range Rover with a beachfront house out the gate. Right. And when you talk about affordable housing, I guess my mind, like I was wondering if some people would be like, oh, doctors need affordable housing. But with the debt they carry over, a lot of these people just want to live in a nice neighborhood with an easy commute to like have their kids grow up for a while while they pay off their debt as quick as they can to then start their life. So I think that's a pretty decent perspective to bring is like, hey, can we get doctors to have affordable housing? You know, I, I think everybody, yeah, no doubt. I mean, everybody should have affordable <laughs> housing. You know, you want to talk about housing, you know, look at, look at the, the development that we're seeing here in Sussex County. You know, a lot of people that already live here love the fact that, you know, their, their housing prices are going through the roof, but the real problem that we're seeing too, just with housing prices is 
it's becoming unaffordable to buy a home if you are working in a trade or you're a teacher. You know, unfortunately, you and I know if you're a teacher and you're just starting out, you're not affording a five hundred, six hundred thousand dollar home. Yeah. You know. Um, so I think part of the problem that we need to do is because people have figured out and they're coming. People have figured out that Delaware, Sussex County, the beaches, it's a fun place. It's a great place to live. And they're coming no matter what we do. You know, we need to make it affordable for and we need to set aside housing is what I'm saying. We need to set aside affordable housing for people that work in trades, that work as a teacher and, you know, provide them an opportunity to live here, too. Yeah. So that's where I turn more Republican, I feel. And I feel like I turn more capitalistic because I'm like, if the market dictates I can make or I can get this much for my half acre, I can sell 30 acres and the zoning allows this home and people are willing to buy it. Mm -hmm. Who are you to tell me I can't make as much money as I can? You know, I definitely understand that. And I think that comes back to my, my caring nature of, you know, but at the same time too, if you want to, if you want to say, you know, how much money can I really make? Then when, you're in your house and your your toilet breaks or your your sinks leak and things like that you know when we don't have somebody that's around to come and fix them then you really feel the brunt of it too yeah that that's exactly where the counter argument goes in my mind is oh you moved here for the great schools it sucks that nobody wants to teach here because they have to drive an hour to get here mm -hmm. <laughs> like it it doesn't work so you do need that balance i don't know how do you have any ideas how that actually happens? So you don't piss off contractors, you don't piss off farmers who look at their land as like, this was my retirement. And now you're telling me I can't sell it for 5 million. I have to sell it for 3 million because there's some law that says a condo has to go here to let people live. What I will tell you is that there's no way to make everybody happy. You know, if, if ifs and buts were candy and nuts, we'd all have a wonderful Christmas, man. Um, there's no true way to make every single person happy. Um, and I think that with the development that we're seeing, a lot of people are happy, except for the people that don't have homes because they can't afford it. You know, and I think that what we need to do is set aside homes that are affordable and if you want to develop land, you know, develop the crap out of it. But we need to make sure that those, there are some sections that are affordable. Yeah. I didn't realize this and not to go back to the last podcast, but it makes me think about this. He's a doctor in New York and he tells me that if you have a practice, New York state law is 10% of your patients have to be on Medicaid. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, so I started thinking of Sussex County and I like small government, which I guess makes me more Republican. When you say small government, right? You all of a sudden go Republican. I like the small, you're on the ground, you have control thing. So I wonder if this is more of a them thing than a state representative thing. But why can't every development that goes in have, hey man, 15% of your homes, if we establish a criteria for working class, whether that be plumbers, whatever trade, whatever teacher, nurses. 
they get a home at a prorated rate and maybe we use some of our tax surplus to fill in the gap. Am I stupid thinking that way or does that sound? No, that sounds like a great idea. Um, You know, the problem just becomes how how do you regulate that? Right. Who's in charge of that? So I, I, I think it's a great idea. You know, it's certainly something that I will keep in my back pocket and kind of I'll shout you out when I, uh, when I put it forward, if it's possible, but, um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how you'd regulate that. And that's, that's a great question. Yeah. That, and then you get into, Hey, let's make a law. And then you get into the Democrat like stereotype of now I got bigger government cause you got to watch over the teacher that buys a home and all of a sudden Airbnbs it and it's their like third home, you know? Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a big thing too, is, you know, how do you monitor second homes versus, you know, retirement homes or uh, vacation homes and things like that? Yeah. I, um, do you think it's a state issue? Like as we're talking about this and I thought about the County council, I'm like, should this even be a state issue where people like you, if you represent the state, even though you are representing a district, should state tax dollars be caring about affordable housing or should that just be a county thing? So the county council, what they manage, um, you know, it, it is a valid, very valid question. So the county council, um, they deal with a lot of like planning, zoning and roads and infrastructure like that. Um, but there are certainly programs that the state tax dollars can put in place that helps to kind of regulate those things. and. You know, there, there are state companies like uh, Dundrak and um, Dell Dot. You know, there, there are things in place that state can look at and put limitations or, you know, put not red flag laws in place, but, you know, kind of make it more difficult for things to happen. For development. So would that be something like the state passes some sort of like wetland buffer that jacks up the ratio for people developing? They could do something like that. Mandate, you got to have whatever four lanes of a road and then all of a sudden it's like uneconomical for The roads, like, see, it gets really tricky um, with, you know, what, what is county council and what is the state? So you know, it, it, it does. It, it gets really tricky. It's a it's a really fine balance of what what is what. Yeah, that's what I hear because county council always goes with the roads are basically state roads. They have no they have no like power, right? They have no autonomy over the roads. Sorry, say that again? Well the county council is just they have no control over roads, right? Isn't it all state? It's all Del Dot, Department of Transportation. Um, or to tell you the truth, I'm not, I'm not entirely certain on that. I think it's gotcha. mostly Delta, but I'm not positive. Yeah. I just, I like, you wonder the biggest complaint we get around here is like, why don't we have a shoulder? <laughs> How come there's not a turn lane you put in a development and why do you get whatever ratio, but you can't take half of your road frontage and give us an extra eight feet to let flow mm-hmm. of traffic go kind of a thing. Right. And I guess like in my head, just speaking with you, I'm like, how do you balance and communicate that with state versus county council? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing I can say to, to people listening and, and you is, you know, check out the, the Delaware.gov website because 
like I said, it's a really fine line as to what the planning and zoning does and what the state dollars cover and what Del Dot is and things like that. Gotcha. Um, I, I should have been better because we brought up healthcare and then we got into affordable housing and I didn't offer you the opportunity. Is there something else you wanted to say about healthcare? I didn't want to just glance over that or gloss over that real quick. No, I think we covered a lot, you know, just with healthcare. I think we we talked about, you know, affordable prescriptions. I think we talked about getting doctors here and, you know, I, I think we, we covered a bunch there. Yeah, that's how we got into housing is talking about like, hey man, let's incentivize doctors. And it's something that, again, this doctor was telling me he's in Long Island and he's like, I can make 200K in Long Island or I can go rural and make 300K. But I mm -hmm. like the lifestyle of Long Island, so I'm gonna stay in Long Island and make 100 grand less. Um, so then to go to housing, or I guess to go back to housing, is there something concrete? Is there something thought like is there a weird formula maybe it's because i'm a numbers guy i'm always looking for like an algebraic formula to be like mm -hmm. oh percentage wise do you have any other thoughts about how to help this affordable housing situation like i said i think whatever the percentage is and you know i'm flexible onto what we make that but i think that we just need to set aside affordable housing for people in specific careers as as to trades teaching and um you know things that we we need to build up the infrastructure around i think we just need to set aside communities that are affordable yeah i like i like the fact that you're recognizing there are people who develop the infrastructure that make it worth living here and mm -hmm. if they can't live around here it makes it harder to have the services and goods that people are moving here for, which then ultimately would depreciate everything that you value. You know, as an edu as an educator, I, I just kind of look at the kids that I teach and when they graduate high school, you know, what kind of a world, what kind of a Delaware are they going forth into? And I'm sure you kind of think about that too, as to, you know, what are we preparing kids to go into when they graduate? You know, as a teacher, I'm sure you kind of have those same thoughts. Yeah, I'm, I've gotten real into the, I don't understand why we're pushing college so hard mm -hmm. <laughs> camp. I, maybe it's because I'm coaching basketball and it's a bunch of dudes who really don't enjoy reading and they just want to be active and they're really good kids. They just don't want to sit there and do homework for three hours. They'd rather play. <laughs> and you're like, there's nothing wrong with you, but you spend so much of your day feeling bad about yourself because you're compared to kids who love doing homework and love being organized and love making their book bag right the night before they go to bed, you know, and like turning in this, they check their assignments five times a day. And you're like, nah, man, I'm just trying to like hang with my friends. And I'm like, yeah, there's nothing wrong with you. You have value. You're worthy. Like the, just cause you don't want to go to college, man, doesn't mean you're a bum. You can have a great life. You're a, you're a worker. You're dedicated. You have discipline. You show up, you know? So yeah, I do. I like those kids and I want them to feel like they have a place in Delaware to come back to. Not like, not to live like a low income life though, to be like, yeah, dude, use your hustle and work ethic to thrive. 
you know, mm-hmm. live. You know, we just got, we talked a little bit about kids, like, you know, on an education stance, um, you know, I, I don't know how you see this at Cape, but I think one of my major issues is mental health in the schools. And, you know, the pandemic has really, really, really brought forth problems that we definitely saw prior to the pandemic, but they are forefront now. Like, um, I can, I just, I know for a fact, there were a lot of kids who came out to me this year as either LGBTQ, um, you know, plus, but the struggles that they were having because they, as soon as they would come out, the, the next sentence would be, but you can't say anything at home because they don't know or they, they, they don't, you know, they don't recognize it. They don't, they don't support me. You know, we, we need to provide kids that support at school. So this might be, and this is interesting. And again, I'm not being confrontational. I enjoy mm-hmm. thinking out loud on the record. I don't know why, um, but I do. Cause I, I guess I try to figure out like where I align. I feel like I go more conservative with that. I hear that and I get worried about like, oh, so my kid could be pregnant and I don't know. Oh, so my kid has this. Now you're empowering my kid and I as a parent don't get to have the right. While I recognize everything you said is completely true. Kids are completely fearful of going home and not being abused, but just not being welcomed. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm definitely saying that like, you know, the safety of kids is utmost importance. And, you know, if a kid is ever in a, a situation where they don't know if they're pregnant or being unsafe, you know, the, the first thing is getting that kid safe, yeah. you know, notifying DFS and then having a conversation with the parents. And as a teacher, you know, a lot of that time, I'm not the one having that conversation with them, but you put steps in place as to, you know, you let the guidance counselor where you yeah. let principal know and you know they kind of take it from there but definitely those are conversations that need to happen you're the conduit you're like yeah you set them on the right path for people who that's their job to help them Mm -hmm. yeah okay so then you're not saying like leave the parents out in the dark but what your focus is on a kid's feeling a certain way and if they don't feel comfortable with the parents the kid needs to feel comfortable a hundred percent priority is the kid school needs to be a safe place for kids on a physical mental emotional level so then what do you want to do for that so most high schools because right now um there have been a lot of legislative bills put in place on the elementary and the middle school levels with mental health and you know i commend uh, Val Longhurst and the other legislators that have been working tirelessly on that as well. Um, but we really haven't seen that at the high school. Mm. So I think definitely putting licensed psychologists and, you know, just definitely speech pathologists and um, other sorts of mental health supports in place at even the high school level. Um, wellness centers, not every single wellness center has, has to have a licensed, um, physician, or not a physician, sorry. They have to have a licensed physician at the wellness <laughs> center, but they don't have to have a licensed psychologist there. 
Um, and I think that's something that we really need to look into. Do the numbers allow it? So just from my personal experience, we had an outside consultant. We have two guidance counselors. We have a school psychologist full time. So I'm at a school with 700 kids and we have four mental health support staff who are kind of full time. Now the school counselors do a ton of other shit aside from just mental health. Like they have a ton of logistical stuff they have to deal with. Mm -hmm. They were run rampant with just 700 and we had, it was four to 700. And if you look at that number, you're like, what's that? Like a buck 50, a buck 80 per. It's hard to build those relationships with that ratio. I can't I think imagine. I lost you there. Got you. Yeah. You had a freeze. I was trying to talk through it. I was just <laughs> talking about the ratio. Yeah. So I think of a high school and we basically had a one mental health staff to like 170 kid ratio. Right. And if you break down a day, how do you make a connection with 170 kids who need it? How are you there for emergency or trauma treatment? Right. So do you have some specific like numbers in mind where you're like, we need X amount? Why am I always formulaic? I'm sorry, dude. I don't mean to put you like on the record about formulas, but I'm curious about like the logistics. I, I don't have a number in mind, um, but you know, I just think that there needs to be more, like you said, you know, 170 and that's just one school. It's one example, middle school. You know, it's one school, you know, and really middle school has kind of taken that step. You know, we've, we've put things on, on legislation that middle school things have gotten better. Um, you know, that the staff are being hired in the middle schools at the high schools, you know, we still need to make that step. And maybe it's me being biased because I'm a high school teacher, but, <laughs> um, you know, we need to, we need to support these kids. Yeah. I, yeah. It's, you know, it's funny. It's almost like stock trading. Um, I was reading, uh, David Graham's book, um, the intelligent investor and, I think it was like chapter six was like, use your awareness to help you invest. If you notice a trend, you notice it before investors do because you're on the streets. So if you notice everybody wearing Crocs, maybe mm. Croc stock is going to go up. Like I notice kids are all into Crocs all of a sudden again. And it's like, I looked up Croc stock and I'm like, maybe I should buy some of that. So the same principle I think applies to what you're saying. And I don't think it's a bias. I think it's an awareness of, you see an issue, right? Like you've been there, you know what's happening in these schools. So why not make that a lane of yours where you can bring some expertise? I think that's smart. That's what you want in representatives, right? Right, you know, definitely. And as a teacher, you know, teachers who become legislators have a huge, huge advantage in the fact that they, they're direct, they're hands-on, they see what's going on, like you said. So my experience, you know, dealing with kids in this past year, the first year they come back from the pandemic where they're at home all the time, cooped up in a room, you know, it, it was eye-opening what some of these kids go through. Aside from mental health, which I feel would be bipartisan, as long, mm -hmm. I, I feel like the conservative in me is like, 
the only apprehension I would have is, oh my God, I don't get to know if my kid changes their pronoun. Like that would freak me out. If my kid went to the school and all of a sudden went from she, her to he, him, or a they. And I'm like, I, I don't get an email. I don't get a call, <laughs> but I want my kid to feel good. So I mm -hmm. think almost anybody, regardless of party can agree. We don't want kids to be in a place where they want to hurt themselves. We want kids to feel good about themselves. Right. Is there something else about schools that you hope to advocate for? So definitely um, with the, not to harp on the pandemic, but you know, it, it is, it's, <laughs> it's, it's fresh on everybody's mind. Um, Teachers for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the learning loss that we saw in the pandemic is crazy. Um, like to give you some personal examples, you know, I, I would teach ninth grade English and I would have kids come in sometimes four or five grade levels below the reading level that they're supposed to be at. Now, is that the pandemic? Is that something else? You know, or a mixture, what, or a mixture, <laughs> or a mixture, you know, and one of the things that I want to put into place is um, giving kids the opportunity to have programs in communities where they go and they're able to read and they're able to, you know, at an early age, at an early age, make it affordable for all, um, at like maybe a boys and girls club, for example, or something like that, where there are just programs in place where kids go and they read or they get basic skills that parents who work you know, two or three jobs, they just can't offer at home. So that's more like a after school care, almost like a, cause dude, something I talk to parents and there are educated parents who are like, I got three kids. I'm not getting a job. Cause what I would pay for daycare would mm -hmm. be way more than what I would make. I'm gonna stay with my kids, but nobody thinks about like the second, or I don't know. I shouldn't say nobody thinks about the second shift the whatever three to 11 shift, right? Do they need daycare? Yeah. And is that kind of what you're trying to talk about? Like supplementing kids after school, where if parents want to enroll people, Hey man, let's have like tutors and learning environments around. Something like that. Like specifically at early elementary to kind of fill in gaps of, you know, this is, um, very basic skills that, you know, you could get by being in person for a full year when you were in first grade, but because you learned it on a computer, uh... you know, just, and trying to make these, these programs affordable is what I'm saying is like provide it at a community building and have people go and who are, either certified teachers or volunteers, but to provide, to kind of fill in those gaps to increase literacy. Gotcha. Yeah. It, so then what happens with the older kids? Cause older kids don't want to do that. Ain't nobody going to summer school. <laughs> Dude, They're trying to work, get money. They ain't trying to go to school more than they can. 
do you have an idea for the middle kids? It's almost like the middle child always gets forgotten. Do you have ideas for the middle kid who kind of is competent enough to like sound syllables, letters, can read a book, but is missing maybe those like more higher level thinking skills that missed out on like the discussions on novels, that kind of thing. You know, that's, that's the hard part. Um, I haven't necessarily had any thoughts about that, but, um, I will tell you in my own personal classroom, you know, having those discussions of, you know, what is personification and why did the author use that personification here? Or, you know, why did they use that metaphor? Um, the rhetoric behind things that's, those are the steps that are missing, at least that I'm finding as to critical thinking, right? Why did the author do this? What was their purpose? You know, and how does that fit with the overall text? Now I can only really speak to English. I don't know, as you said, you're a math, like you, you like your formulas. Um, I can't really speak to math, but, um, I'm assuming that there's definitely some learning loss there with, you know, if you don't learn X plus Y equals, seven and then you have another formula to figure out why then plug in but if you never figured out how to just solve x you know you're not going to be able to figure out that two-step so i think that the middle levels are really at a disposition and i, I haven't necessarily thought of the best way possible um other than when you get to those eighth ninth grade levels you know you really kind of have to dig deep into what are the most important skills that kids need to go forward. And I don't want to put you on the spot, but I want to advocate for something that I think is real simple that Mm -hmm. in Delaware doesn't get done enough. And it's a little bit of a lie. Um, What gets represented versus what truly is, is class size. So when I hear you talk and it seems like you want to give individual feedback and that's probably the Mm -hmm. coach in you. Because what do you do as a coach? You find a player's strength, you find a player's weakness, you fine tune it. If you're in a class of 32 and you got 60 minutes, 70 minutes, 40 minutes, it's impossible. You can't give a ton of individual feedback. And one of my biggest issues when I look at like department of education, student to teacher ratio is stuff like, oh, it's 16 to one. There are zero classes unless you are like heavy on the special education spectrum where it's 16 or below. Right. And it seems like I really wonder if you're trying to give that kind of feedback to real critical thinking, is there any other way to do it other than actually lower class sizes to below 18 (laughs) to like 15 in a general ed to just hire more people and have more classrooms? You know, and I, I think that's the magic. The magic solution is hire more people, but you know, there's a national teaching shortage, you know, and, and I think part of Delaware that we run into is retention. You know, when, when Maryland offers $60,000 just to start Mm. and Pennsylvania offers to pay for, you know, most of your masters or New Jersey is, you know, comparable to Maryland in salary, you know, those are just the three, three States that surround us. Yeah. And, and Delaware educators, you know, we're smart. You know, we look at, should I jump ship? You know, should I, should I, if I'm only a couple years in, should I jump to another state and make more money? So I think that 
what we need to do in Delaware to try to decrease those class sizes is look at how can we retain our teachers. Yeah. When I started teaching, you used to get nine credits for free in the summer. Mm -hmm. And then what happened was, um, I think it was like the 07, 08, like the housing market crashed or whatever, like the big short movie thing happened. <laughs> like there was that recession and mm -hmm. Delaware's budget got fucked and they were like, nope, no more free classes. And now like there's some sort of insane surplus where Delaware's talking about like sending me $200 to like fill up my gas tank. <laughs> and I'm like, why is, if we have such a surplus, why have we not br brought back some of the benefits like higher education for educators? Because not only does it solidify the middle class, but it also provides jobs to your upper middle class, which are like college professors, and it would improve your lower to whatever class of kids because you have a higher, like a higher qualified individual. You have someone who knows more teaching your kids. You have more in your bag of tricks. It just seemed like a simple solution. I was, I'm like shocked that it's almost 20 years at this point. It hasn't been brought back. You know, the, the $300 that you kind of referred to there, I, I think that that was more so because, you know, the, the rising gas prices. Yeah. That was the current issue at the time that we, we got that. And I think that with all the inflation, you know, that was certainly used to help address and alleviate a lot of the concerns. But it came from the surplus. I guess my point is like it, there was this huge surplus and it was like, what do we do with the surplus? Oh, let's give people back a little bit of money. And I'm like, well, why are we not reinvesting that into opportunities for people versus a check for people? Not to, again, not to harp on the pandemic, but I think that when we gave those checks out to people with the, the stimulus checks and then the child stimulus checks and then the gas stimulus check, you know, people appreciated it. I, I really think that people did, um, you know, people that really felt the brunt of losing their job in the pandemic and then relying on those stimulus checks. I think that they appreciated it, you know, and it's, it's easy for us to say from our, from our armchairs as to, you know, why didn't we use that money for this? Why didn't we use that money for that? Mm. But when the concerns were, the inflation, the gas and things like that. I think, you know, if everybody's complaining about that or everybody has this concern, you know, if we have this surplus, this is what's the main concern right now. I think that that was a, honestly, I think that was a good use of the money. A priority mm -hmm. to alleviate. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard to argue against that. Like, again, like that's part of the democracy thing, right? Like if the majority mm -hmm. of people are asking about something, that's kind of what you're there for is to, Go with the constituents. Yeah. Um, anything else about education that you wanted to talk about, bring up? Um, you know, just highlighting a couple of my major points is to just definitely school safety. Um, we've donated, I mean, donate, not donated, but there's been a, a big push as to providing you know, support, monetary support for schools in the past year or two. Um, and unfortunately, with recent events, you know, like Uvalde and, um, you know, it just seems like what is the next 
mass shooting, you know, that we're going to see, um, I think that the conversation should turn to what can we do to keep classrooms safe in terms of, you know, there's a, there's a company called teacher lock that I don't know if you've heard of it, but, um, it is a, it's a deadbolt lock. It goes on the inside of a door and there's a button that you push and it just slides right across. So it's, it's not a slide, you know, that you slide, it's just a button you push and boom, it goes right across. Um, you know, those are relatively cheap. I think that we could get those on the inside of classroom doors and help in the event of um, some sort of disaster, you know, that'll help to uh, keep them on the outside of a door. And as well, I think we could look at bulletproof glass, but ultimately I think that we just need to provide more funding for schools to invest in either, you know, trainings for teachers or training for students or, you know, resources that they can put in classrooms to make them safer. It, what about, um, something like state troopers or cops, like you get one cop, you get a security guard per school. Cause Delaware is pretty, most Delaware schools are small enough where if a cop's just there every day, they're going to, you know, most schools do have, most Delaware schools do have a resource officer, um, you know, for the district. And I, I see no problem with the resource officers that are already in place. You know, they, they do a really nice job of, you know, being there and being a presence. So as for, you know, having one of those, I think Delaware does a nice job of already keeping resource officers on scene. Gotcha. But not trying to get specifically one per school, just letting the districts figure out like local level kind of distribution of the resource. Um, you know, I, I really haven't looked at what the what the cost would be of having a, re, a an officer at every single school, yeah. but it, it's certainly something that I could I could look into. Um, it's it's something that sounds good in theory, but you know, I've I've not really looked at it at what the the benefits and the negatives are. Gotcha. Is there another sort of training like I had not heard about that deadbolt? option mm-hmm. or I haven't even thought about bulletproof, bulletproof glass, to be honest with you. Is there some sort of other training that you're thinking about that would be beneficial? You know, Delaware education, we're really fortunate in that they do provide us with a lot of school safety training at the beginning of the year. And yeah. I know sometimes as educators, it's really tempting to kind of say, Oh, I watched that last year or something like that. You know? <laughs> so true. Um, but they're, they're really important. You know, it is, it is important to have those playing and listen because they do constantly edit them and change them, um, to make them more current. But like everything, I, I think that there are things that could be done to make them more relevant or, you know, maybe adding realistic, you know, more realistic drills or something like that. But, um, as to, specifics trainings no i've not thought about like a a specific company if that's what you're asking yeah well i don't know it's a weird space right because you think of some of your favorite teachers and a lot of them at least in my mind are like older really nice ladies that aren't trying to like go toe-to-toe with an intruder and do i want a 55 year old woman learning jujitsu 
to be like <laughs> a, whatever, like a yell blue belt to be able to disarm some arm that's coming through a door. Like, I don't want her doing that in August. I want her making her lesson plans. I want her <laughs> focused on building a classroom community. I want her thinking of like cool little games to play for kids to get to know each other. And it like time is a limited resource. So that's that's kind of where I was going at. I was just curious about like the training. Cause with cops, I really feel like cops, and I'd gotten into this with cops on the pod, is like if they were more trained in hand-to-hand, there would be an additional confidence when confrontation came about. Mm-hmm. Teachers, you watch the video, you go through a lockdown drill maybe once a month, and like get in a corner, be quiet, lock the door. And that's it. And you're like, what actually happens? But what's the alternative? We're on like mats in the gym and we're learning how to do like bare naked chokeholds from the back. <laughs> like, I don't know if that's going to happen. So well, it's I'm, not weird... suggest- I'm not suggesting that. Like, yeah, no, yeah. I'm not saying well, you are. Just... Too, but, you know, um, I, th- I think it would be interesting to, to pose, but... I- I'm not suggesting that um, maybe that's the wrestler in me saying it. It would be yeah. interesting, but uh, <laughs> just to see you know. what happens. No, and I wasn't thinking you were, man. I guess I was just thinking out loud about like, aside from what's going on now, what would be enhanced training is where my mind started going. Cause what's the next level? If I have a door locked and the infrastructure is better, bolt, bulletproof, what else? what else do I need as a teacher? What else can I do? What else can we scale? You know, the possibilities are endless. You know, there's always more that we can do. There's more that we can research. Um, But, you know, I I think that just providing the funding that schools could do research into possible other trainings that they want to perform. I think that that would be kind of where I'm at, where my head's at. Gotcha. I like that little bit of local control. I like that. Um, I just, on your website, looked at priorities, education, healthcare, managing overdevelopment, housing, supporting seniors. I feel like we've touched on a little bit of all of those, but I wasn't sure if there was something specific within those five or wherever that you wanted to get into. No, I think we kind of hit them all, man. Those are that's me in a nutshell that, you know, the thing that I'm, I'm kind of running on, you know, those, those five, um, you know, I think that it's good to have five important ones to, to kind of run on. And we did a nice job of running through them. Cool. All right. Well, Keegan, man, I thank you. Number one, for just being willing to go through the process. I, like I said earlier in the pod, I was shocked that, the majority of districts go unopposed. So it's awesome that you're willing to knock on doors and um, put yourself out there to just give people an option. Um, I'll really try to bite my tongue and say any sort of like elevator pitch closing remark that you want to end the pod with. Um, You know, I'll just kind of shamelessly plug myself, Um, (laughs) you know, find me on uh, Instagram and Facebook, you know, my at name is Keegan Worley for DE, uh, or you can look me up. I think it's just if you search Keegan Worley for state representative, I think you find it. Um, but those, and then my website is uh, 
keganworley.com. So, you know, if you have questions out there, listeners, uh, feel free to email me. My contact information is on all that or, you know, shoot me a call. My cell phone number is on there too. Yeah, I mean, it's really cool that, number one, you were willing to commit the time to do the pod and um, that you're accessible. I think that's something that I hope you don't lose, my friend. I'm uh, I'm excited that uh, I was able to get to know you, listeners are get to know you, and I'm excited to see what happens. Um, the Republicans have a primary, which to me is interesting. I don't even know if I should like bring that up, but does that matter in your world at all? Like which Republican comes out of that? Or is that, nah, I'm about me? <laughs> you know, um, I think that I'm going to run my own race and I'm not really going to work, you know, worry too much about the other side. You know, I, w- I wish both of them the best. You know, I'm not really trying to run a dirty campaign or anything like that. You know, like I, I do, I wish, I wish them both the best and, you know, whoever comes out on top, you know, I welcome them to challenge me here after September, but you know what? I don't play to lose. So whomever you are, you know, I'm, I'm going to beat you. <laughs> Love it. Let's end on that. Keegan, thank you so much for your time and um, enjoy the rest of your night, man. I'm sure you've got a ton of stuff to do. Appreciate you coming on, letting people get to know you. Thanks to Andre Psyche for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Search up Andre Psyche on social media. Give him a follow just for the fuck of it. Dear listeners, if you've enjoyed getting to know today's guest or just want to support this upstart podcast, go to our Patreon. For as little as $2 a month, your donation will help with all the costs associated with producing the Getting to Know You pod. Don't forget the three free ways to support the pod. One, subscribe to the Getting to Know You pod. Two, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Three, go to Apple, write a review. And finally, if you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor of or advertise on the Getting to Know You pod, we would love to partner with you. We have a wide-ranging global audience that would like to get to know more about your brand or business. If you're interested, just message us. See you.